A priest. When you hear the word priest, uh, we have a picture of a priest. That's, isn't that what you think of normally, a priest? Uh, a man in a black shirt, black jacket with a white collar. A priest uh, in the different, we think of different religions or dom- denominations, is someone who is authorized to perform sacred rituals and rites. A priest is often thought of as a mediary agent between God and man, a Catholic priest, and that may have been a Catholic priest on the screen. Uh, we think of a, a lot of times the same Catholic priest in our part of the world, and a Catholic priest is a single man, 25 and older, who normally wears what? A black shirt with a white collar. Uh, Episcopals call their ministers priests also. Many of the Orthodox groups call their ministers uh, priests too. Did you know Jesus Christ is, uh, is called a priest? Priests were very prominent in Judaism. Uh, the thing in Judaism is to be a priest, you had to go through the bloodline of Aaron. You, it was a, it was a uh, genetical bloodline thing more than it was, I feel called to the priesthood. It was uh, who mom and daddy was and who they were connected to through the, uh, through the ages. But we see in Hebrews 4 tonight that, that Jesus Christ is described as our priest, as the one who mediates and connects us with God, one who certainly performed sacrificial rituals, rituals between uh, and for us and God. And we're going to look at three, I think, three wonderful truths tonight that God has to say to us because of our priest, Jesus Christ. Here's the first thought that he tells us. Remain faithful. Remain faithful because of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus our priest. We have a wonderful priest in Jesus Christ. We're going to see that tonight. And one of the challenges 2,000 years ago to the Jewish Christians, many of these people, remember the letter of Hebrews was written to the Hebrew people originally, was to remain faithful. Certainly they've been persecuted. They were being challenged by their fellow uh, Jewish friends and family members and one of the things he said to him is, listen, be, remain faithful. We touched on this two weeks ago. One thing you find out, when you get into a longer book in the Bible, there is repetitious themes. And we're not going to touch on, uh, you know, every three weeks the same repetition. But there is some repetition for a reason. Look in verse 14. Therefore, in, in other words, because we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Now, folks, the only place in the New Testament Jesus is called the high priest is in the book of Hebrews. Now, the high priest in Judaism, it was a tremendous honor. The high priest was the, uh, he was the grand poobah of, of priests, okay? He was, he was your daddy. I mean, he was the man, okay? Am I making sense? Are you rolling with me? On that, he was, the, he was the top dog. And he got the highest honor there was once a year in, in the temple days. He got to go into the Holy of Holies. Now, you remember, uh, we'll think about Herod's temple in Jesus' day. It had several different sections. It had a section where, where non-Jewish people like you and me could go. It, it had a, a place where all Jewish people, men and women, could go. Then only a place where Jewish men could go. And then it had a place where just for the priest and then another place called the holy place where a priest went every day in there to 
make sacrifices, you know, to, to do some certain important rituals. A lot of priests never got to do that. And then once a year, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, the place where God lived. The Ark of the Covenant was there that, that represented the presence of God. And he got to go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement to offer sacrifices for the people. That, how many of you agree that's a pretty cool gig, wasn't it? I mean, the things that this guy could see and witness. If you live to be 90 years old, that only happened 90 times in your lifetime. And that's how rare that it was once a year. Here's what it says about Jesus. The high priest got the honor of going into the holy of holies once a year. But it says Jesus has passed through the heavens. Look in your, your scripture. That we have, has gone through the heavens. Now, what does that mean? It has tremendous meaning. Although it's it, it, just reading that, you go, well, what in the world could that mean? The Jewish people believed there was either three are seven different levels of heaven. Now, we don't find any biblical uh, background for seven levels of heaven, but you do for three levels of heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, listen to what Paul says. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into, what does it say? The third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Now, what did he mean by the third levels of heaven? I mean, is there like a, there is a, the not so good Christians level, the better Christians level, and then the preachers and all of us, you know, top tier people. <laughs> preachers would be on the bottom level. We know, know that for sure. No, what, what, they, what the thought was here was that the three levels of heaven was, one, as you look into the skies, the Jewish people said that's the heavens. Where the clouds are, where the birds fly, that is the first level of heaven. The second level is where the stars are. The birds, the birds in the clouds don't go to the moon and to the stars. That is the second level. The third level of heaven is where God's throne is. Now, you getting the significance here? He's saying, look, you Jewish people, the high priest had an awesome privilege of going into the most holy place once a year. But I want to tell you about the high priest we have in Jesus Christ, the ultimate priest we have in Jesus Christ. He not only went through the, the, the holy of holies, this guy lives around the throne of God. Is that not awesome? This guy doesn't just pass through once a year to the holy of holies. This guy goes through and lives at the very throne of God. God, wow, what an awesome thing. And what he's saying to those people who no doubt were struggling, like some of you are struggling, what he was saying to those people who get discouraged like we get discouraged, he was saying, look, remain true to Jesus Christ who you gave your life to. We have such an awesome God. We have such an awesome high priest in Jesus Christ. Remain faithful. Look at the words that he used here in verse 14. Hold firmly, which means to lay a hold of something. It means to retain it. Hold firmly to your profession, which means your confession of Jesus Christ, your statement that you are a follower of him. What he's saying here, folks, is be steady in Jesus. I said this two weeks ago, and it's so much worth repeating tonight. The most important thing you can do after you become a Christian is be a faithful Christian. What's the best thing you can do for your, your children? 
is be faithful. What's the best thing you can do for your husband or wife who may not be as interested in God as you are? Be faithful. People are looking for cracks in our armor, folks. Young people, what's the best thing you can do? Is be faithful. People are looking to see, well, you know, oh, so-and-so. They didn't really mean that. They got emotional in a revival. They went down front. They, you know, they handled snakes or whatever they did. But now they're back doing everything that we do. And that's not mean you're not going to slip and fall. But what God's saying, the most important thing you can do for yourself, for your family, for your church, for the name of Jesus Christ, is be steady. Some of the people in this room, young people that are behind you, one of the greatest legacies they're leaving is they have been faithful. They've been steady through the years. Almost everyone in here recognizes the name Cal Ripken. You know who Cal Ripken was or is? Cal Ripken was a great baseball player. Cal Ripken played in over, I think it was 2,632 straight baseball games. Baseball season, professional baseball, is 162 regular season games. Cal Ripken played in 2,632 straight games. He's remembered for being a great player. He's remembered for a lot of things, but he will always be a legend for what? His consistency. His consistency. I'll never forget when Ripken's record ended, I was riding in a car with a guy, and he was driving, which made it worse. I couldn't, you know, really do anything. Uh, And he was listening, and he was getting angry. He goes, my father was a dairy farmer. If you don't know much about dairy farming, you don't want to be a dairy farmer when you grow up. Because dairy farmers have to, they have to get up at like 4 in the morning and milk cows Then they have to come back about 3 or 4 in the afternoon and milk cows. And guess how many times a week they do that? Seven times a week. Guess how many weeks they do that a year? 52 weeks a year. And this guy was getting angry. He goes, that guy just played baseball. My daddy for 17 years never missed a milking. And I was, amen to your dad. That's, you know, don't hit me. I didn't say, I'm not to blame for Cal Ripken's success. But, you know, even that guy recognized greatness is not found necessarily in how high you jump one time or how much you shout or how much noise you make in one meeting. Greatness is found in how you are faithful through the years. Ultimately, God is going to judge you and me on whether we knew him and how faithful we were to him. And he tells us, look, guys, We have such an awesome high priest in Jesus Christ, mediator in Jesus Christ, not one who preaches in the pulpit simply or one who has even been in the Holy of Holies, but one who has passed through the heavens and who lives at the throne of God. Remain faithful. It's a pretty good challenge, isn't it? Pretty good reminder of what we need to do. Here's the second thing he tells us. We have a priest that can help us with our struggles. Now, see, I think these all go together. He tells us to remain faithful. And then the next passage, he shows us we have a priest who can help us with our struggles. Now, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we have been tempted 
yet without sin. Now, looking at verse 15, where it starts out weaknesses, this is important because it would be easy to associate this passage just with sin, but it's much broader when we talk about the help we can get from God. The word weakness there means our maladies. It means our feebleness, our maladies, our diseases, our feeblenesses of body and mind. That we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, folks, Jesus will never understand this. Came to earth as 100% God and 100% man, right? Okay, you and I struggle with the man part of it, don't we? Because, I mean, how could Jesus be, you know, when you pinched him, it certainly didn't hurt. Yes, it did. 2,000 years ago, they struggled with the God part of it. They knew he was human. And this was such a foreign concept to have a God who sympathized and was understanding to men. Jesus and Paul lived in a Greek world. And to the Greek philosophers, a God, and I'm using a God with a little g there, was one of two things. Either either the gods felt nothing, they were unemotional, they had no attachment to people or to things. The God couldn't be sad or couldn't be happy. It just existed. It was above it all. Or a God was always happy and at peace because it was a God. It was a God that could have anything or do anything. So it was always at peace and happy. The Jewish people, a lot of them in Jesus' day, had a different view. Their view was that God is holy and God is holy. But they stopped at that, that holy means different and separate. So they believe God is holy, God is different, God is separate. Therefore, God is detached from humanity. And then Jesus Christ comes into the picture. And since we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, we don't have a God of the stoic philosopher who has no feeling. We don't even have a God of the Judaism that is above us and has no connection to our feelings and understandings. But we have someone in Jesus Christ who got tired, who got hungry, who grieved, who laughed, who cried, who got angry, and who understands our plight in life. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? And it goes on and it says he he was tempted in every way. The word tempted there means tempted to sin. It doesn't mean tested to see how strong you were. It means tempted to sin. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus was tempted. I've heard people say, well, he was tempted, but he could not sin because he was God. And I'm going to say what I said a few weeks ago. It is not a temptation if you're not tempted to do it. Amen? There's so many bad illustrations I could use that I won't use. I'll go back to what I said a few weeks ago. Put me in a room for six weeks with spinach and cabbage, I'll come out 50 pounds lighter. Put me in a room for six weeks of nothing but ice cream, and you'll have to put WD-40 on the doors to, to push me out. It's not a temptation if you don't struggle with it. And yes, Jesus could have sinned, but that's the great thing. He didn't sin. But the Bible says he understands what it's like to be pushed and pulled. Young people, he understands what it's like to struggle to not go along with a crowd. And here's what's funny and maybe helps you is your parents struggle with peer pressure just as much as you do. It's just a different type. 
Isn't that right of dogs? You want to fit in. You want to be cool. You want everybody to like you. And you get on your kids because they struggle with that. The Bible says we have a high priest in Jesus Christ who was tempted in every way just like us, but he didn't fall into it. Guys, get a hold of this. We have a God who understands us. I read a great story this week of a daddy who was talking about his three-year-old son. When his son was three, he said... He was learning to talk and to verbalize well. And, and so they would go to a ball game together. I think they lived somewhere near uh, the, the Texas Rangers. They'd wear their Rangers jerseys or Texas Rangers shirts together. And when they had the same shirts on, the little boy would touch his daddy. And, and he'd touch himself and he'd say, same, same. You, daddy, you and I are the same. And one time when they were sitting at home and with shorts on, the daddy had a scrape on his knee, and the little boy had a scrape on the same knee, and he touched his dad, and he touched his knee, and he said, same, daddy, same. And, and he said, when I would get on the floor and I'd play with him, and I'd be on my knees, and we'd be eyeball to eyeball, he would look at me eyeball to eyeball and pat me on the head, and he'd say, daddy, same, same. And, folks, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did when he became man. He got scraped. He put on clothes just like us. You ever thought about this? When Jesus became man, he got eyeball to eyeball with you and me. Isn't that awesome? And so you go, I'm discouraged tonight. I want to quit. Let me give you some comfort. There's other people in the room that feel the same way you do. You're saying, I don't understand why I'm going through this. I don't understand why the pain continues and the hurt is there. I don't understand why I've been a Christian 30 years and the temptation to do wrong is just as strong today as it was 30 years ago. You've got a Jesus Christ, a high priest you can lean into that understands you and wants to help you. Isn't that great? Compassionate God. There was a medical student. He had graduated from medical school. He began his residency as a hospital working in pediatrics. And after a few months, the other doctors and the older doctors noticed that this resident had a special bond with the children that when he came in the room, they, they set up, they smiled. Anything he asked them to do from taking shots to getting x-rays, they did it. They did it with joy. So they actually put a nurse to spy on him. <laughs> what is he doing that these kids love him so much? And a few weeks later, the nurse came back and said, it's pretty simple. Every night he goes to their beds and he hugs them and he tucks them in. He kisses them on the forehead and tells them he cares about them. Every night to every kid and under his care he does that. And she told the older doctor, she said, you want to know why the the kids love him? Because he loves them. Folks, you got a high priest that loves you. He tells us this evening... We have a high priest who can help us with our struggles, not simply because he's God, but because he's a God who got eyeball to eyeball with us and really cares. Isn't that awesome? And here's the last thing that he shows us in this scriptures tonight. We can confidently approach the throne of God because of our priest, Jesus. We can confidently Let me rephrase that. We can confidently go to the throne of God because of our priest, Jesus Christ. 
Verse 16 is a wonderful passage. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, we're talking about the throne of God tonight. By the way, at some point, you will stand before this throne. You know that? (laughs) And it'll either be a really rotten day or it'll be a wonderful day. Can you imagine what the throne of God looks like? Where Jesus lives? Where God the Father lives? Can you imagine what it looks like? And and listen to what it's called here. It's called the throne. Let us approach the throne of grace. Have you ever thought about that? Grace means undeserved favor, undeserved kindness. The greatest power ever describes his throne not as the the sovereign throne that you're going to get your head knocked off when you stand before. It is the sovereign throne of God. But it's described as the throne of grace. Is that not amazing? The The throne of grace. And we can approach it with confidence. The word confidence means boldly or freely. It's going to affect your prayer life if you'll swallow this. Openly, with assurance, we can approach the throne of mercy with confidence and boldness and freeness and assurance. He says here that we may receive mercy. This is very important, this word mercy, if you're taking notes. It means a special regard to the misery of sin. Wow. The special regard to the misery of sin. God's mercy extended toward the consequences and the effects of our sin. God's mercy extended toward and intending to alleviate the consequences of our sin. Folks, when Jesus died, if you remember the the biblical story in Herod's temple, the curtain, there was a huge, big, thick, curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies when jesus died that curtain was split in two by the way some scholars say it would have taken a team of horses pulling in opposite directions to pull that in two it was so thick it split in two you know why it split in two as a as a, a literal way to say the throne of god is open to everybody The throne of God is open to you, and it's open to me. And that you in this room tonight, be you 12 years old, be you 112 years old, you need a minister, you need a pastor, you need someone to help you in your walk with Christ, but you don't need anybody to take you to the throne of God because Jesus has opened the door for that. Is that not awesome? Folks, we get, we get weirdoed out on what the priesthood of the believer is. Priesthood of the believer is a great... How many of you have heard that, that phrase before? Priesthood of the believer is a great Baptist doctrine. It does not mean everyone's equal. It doesn't. A, an eight-year-old who becomes a Christian is not equal in knowledge and understanding and wisdom as Andy Johnson. They're just not. Doesn't it mean we can all vote at business meetings? It does in our church. It may shouldn't, but it does. 
It means something far greater. It, it doesn't negate leadership. When you're 16 and you become a Christian, that doesn't mean that you're, you don't have to answer your parents anymore because you're a priest. I can see me using that to my father. There would have been a second crucifixion. It doesn't mean that there's not leadership in the home, in the workplace, at the church. But what it means is something far greater than what we have twisted it to mean. What it means is, is that you, if you want to, and you will, you can go straight to the throne of God and talk to God directly. Is that not great? Man, that is absolutely awesome. And what, what it means is that, that with your sin... And with your junk in your life, you can come talk to me. You can come talk to Brandon. You can talk to Josh, and that's all great. But ultimately, you can go straight to God. Folks, there's nowhere else in life things work like this. This is a great story. Several years ago, when George W. was president of our country, a teenager in Iceland decided he wanted to talk to President Bush. So he calls the White House. He gets the number, calls it. He disguises his voice, and he acts like and says he is the president of Iceland. This is a great story. He's got him going for a while. And the, they're, they're putting him through to different levels and different levels. Finally, they ask a number of questions, and they find out you are not the president of Iceland. He hangs up. A few minutes later... And he goes to the police station there in his local community to be investigated to see if he's some kind of psycho that's going to blow up the White House. Everything was good and fine. But you know what? I'm going to tell you this tonight. And if I'm wrong, please let me know because you've got a lot more influence than I thought you did. You're not going to call the, the, the White House tonight and talk to President Obama. You weren't going to call the White House eight years ago and talk to George W., were you? And I'm going to bet most of us four years from now, if it's Fred Flintstone in there, that you and I aren't going to be able to get through him calling the White House directly. Amen? Are you humble enough to admit that tonight? Yes, President Obama, this is Chris Craig. Mm -hmm. Who? <laughs> Repeat that name. Who? Uh, but you know what? You and I can go to God and talk to him. Isn't that awesome? I want you to see a video clip. It's an older movie, The Apostle. Robert Duvall plays a Pentecostal preacher. And in this clip, his wife has had an affair. She's left him. He's lost his church. And some people might say that he's praying a little disrespectfully. You know, I think he's being open and honest with God. Watch this clip of Robert Duvall praying to Jesus. He's taken my wife. They stole my church. That's a temple I built for you. And I'm going to yell at you because I'm mad at you. I can't. Take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight, Lord God, Jehovah. If you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and I once in a while, woman, but I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. 
What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always call me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking now. Right. How, how would your life change? Don't lose the, the humility and the reverence, but how would your life change if you went to God boldly on a regular basis? I get tickled when people say, well, I'd never tell God I'm mad at him. Do you not think he knows? We're so funny. We talk behind God's back, don't we? I'm not mad at him. Won't come to church for six months. Won't read her Bible. Won't pray. He can read your mind. That's a bad thing if you're trying to keep something from him. You're not going to make him dizzy and he's not going to fall off the throne if you tell God you're mad at him. You're not doing it to put him in his place. You're doing it to work through what you need to work through. And the Bible says that's what we have we got a high priest that we can go boldly and confidently to with our sins, our weaknesses, our fears, our doubts. We have a high priest that's paved the way. You and I can spend time in the presence of God Almighty. William Wilmon was a, a, is a preacher. He's been a, a Methodist bishop, a professor. He tells one time being in the hospital, and he went to see a lady who was dying, an elderly lady dying of cancer. She was Catholic. He's Methodist. So as he talked to her, he did what I would have done or most ministers would have done. He asked her, would you like me to get a priest to come and talk to you? And she said one of the sweetest things and most profound things. She was holding a crucifix. And she looked at William and she said, I don't need a priest because I've got my priest, Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you don't need your priest or your pastor. But what this dying lady acknowledged was, the bottom line is, is what we need more than anything else is a connection with our high priest. And when you got him, everything else will be okay. This evening... In no moment, we're going we're gonna to have a time of response. We always lay out several things, not to be repetitious, not because that we're taught to do this in seminary, but because we need to do this. If you're not a Christian, you come tonight and give your life to Christ. If you'd like to join our church fellowship, we'd love for you to do that. You can come down tonight and join our church. Christian, maybe you want to come and pray and just spend a little time at the throne of God tonight. Maybe you want to come and pray with a minister or just make a fresh commitment that because of who Jesus is, you're going to remain faithful in your following of Him. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come tonight.